18-year-old Joshua Dobson from Rochdale in England was wanted by the police for stealing a car, driving while disqualified and for filling up with petrol and then running off and not paying. But when officers searched for him at his home, he was nowhere to be seen. That was until officers noticed a large teddy bear was breathing. When they opened it up, they found a teenager hiding inside the teddy bear. In a Facebook statement, the police said that he's now been stuffed behind bars, although they hoped that his time inside was going to be bearable. Now, I guess that most of us haven't tried to hide inside a teddy bear before. But it's not just criminals who have that sense of the desire to hide from their guilt. Many of us struggle with that feeling of guilt that tell us that we've done bad things or that accompanying feeling of shame that tells us that we're a bad person. Maybe from the words that we've said that as soon as they come out of our mouths we wish we could take them back. Or the temptation that we give in to that we know that we should be able to resist. Or the selfish and cruel actions that we're really quite ashamed of. Or even just the thoughts and the attitudes of our, of our heart that if everyone else could see, we would just run from in shame. And these feelings of guilt and shame can haunt us for years. I read on a website this week, someone who, said, who asked this question, I did something terrible when I was a child, this person said. I've changed, but I cannot forgive myself. And it's tearing me apart. What do I do? And then there's the guilt and the shame that we might carry from what others have done to us. Now logically we know that someone else was to blame for that. But it can be so difficult to shake off that feeling that in some way it was our fault. That it happened because of who we are. And it can make us feel unclean, unworthy, and unlovable. But there's good news for us. If we struggle with guilt and shame because of the wrongs that we have done or the wrongs that are done to us, and if we regularly ask, will I ever be good enough? There is an answer. And this morning we're going to look at that answer from John chapter 4. We're going to read from chapter, uh, John chapter 4, verse 4 to 18. And Treve is going to come up and he's going to read our passage for us this morning. Thank you, Treve. Now he had to go through Samaria. 
So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Thank you very much, Steve. If you are looking for a husband or a wife today, then you might go out to a social event, you might go out to the pub or the club, or try an online matchmaking service. But in the Bible, a good place to look for a wife was at a well. In the Old Testament, that's where Isaac's servant found his master's wife, Rebecca. It was also where Jacob found his future wife, Rachel. And Moses too met, first met his wife, Zipporah, at a well. So there's a pattern here. When a man meets a woman at a well in the Bible, ladies, you better buy a hat, because you expect a wedding soon. But this passage is surprising. Because this woman at, a, at the well, just outside the town of Sychar, is not marriage material. Especially not for someone like Jesus. First of all, she was the wrong race. Jesus was Jewish and this woman was a Samaritan. And Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In fact... There had been a historical hatred between these two nations for at least a thousand years. She was also the wrong religion. The Samaritans had wrong ideas about how to worship God. 
This woman referred to it in verse 20 in our passage. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. They had two different temples, two different worship sites. But that's not all. She also had the wrong reputation. Jesus said to her, you have had five husbands. Now we're not told in the passage the reason for all of those marriages. I guess it's possible that she could have tragically been widowed five times. Although that's unlikely. I think it's more likely that either she had been guilty of unfaithfulness five times, that she'd walked away from her husband five times, or that she'd been rejected five times by unfaithful men who promised to be committed to her, but let her down again and again and again. And then at present, she was living an immoral life. The man you now have is not your husband. She was just living with somebody who she wasn't married to. And this is probably why it was the sixth hour when she came to this well. That's midday in our time, 12 12 noon. A time in that part of the world that is far too hot to be going into a well and filling up a jar and carrying it back home. You do that in the morning. The only reason you would go at midday is to avoid everybody else. So because of her reputation, she was living as an outcast in her own community. Excluded, shunned, probably mistrusted. Maybe that's why when Jesus asked her about her marital status, she tried to hide it. She just said, I have no husband. Now, in a sense, it was, it was kind of true. She wasn't married at that particular moment. But it also hid, it also hid a whole load of shame and guilt. From the wrongs done to her or from the wrongs that she had done. She'd been so used to hiding from others that she also hid from this stranger who spoke to her. Now, our lives are very different from this woman's life. Our issues might not be so obvious to others. But we all know the tendency to try and hide our faults and our failings, don't we? To look a bit better than we really are. Hope that nobody sees what we're really like. We come to church this morning and, and put on this, this good face. This good act. So nobody sees how bad we were last week. In the Garden of Eden, before they rebelled against God, before they sinned against God's command, Genesis chapter 2 says of Adam and Eve that the man and the wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. They had absolutely nothing to hide and nothing to fear from each other. 
They were open and vulnerable and intimate with each other and also with God. But after they sinned, they realised that they were both naked, it says in Genesis 3. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They felt exposed in each other's company. And so they, they covered up. They hid from each other. And they hid from God. Or they tried to hide. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Of course, it's impossible to hide from God. But in guilt and shame, they desperately tried to. Guilt and shame separate us from others and isolate us. It makes us want to hide. But amazingly, Jesus overcame that isolation for this woman at the well. Jesus knew all about her. That was her testimony later on, as we'll see in just a minute or so. But this didn't put him off. Instead, he deliberately sought her out. This wasn't an accidental meeting. If you look at verse 4 in this passage, where we started off reading John 4 and 4, he had to go through Samaria. Had to. Why? Well, it wasn't because that was the only way to go. In fact, every other Jew, most other Jews, would have avoided that area. They would have gone a long way around just to avoid that place of Samaria because they hated and despised the Samaritans so much. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had to meet this woman. He also made sure that he was alone when he met her. Verse 8, the disciples had gone into the town to buy food. I don't think it took 12 men to buy dinner for for the group. But Jesus knew that they would have only have gotten away if they'd been there. So he made sure that they were off in town. And it was Jesus who initiated this conversation by humbly asking this woman, Will you give me a drink? Now this woman was shocked at this. Later on you can read how the disciples too were shocked by Jesus speaking to this woman. It was not the done thing in those days. In fact, rabbis taught this. They said, one should not talk to a woman on the street. Not even with his own wife. And certainly not with someone else's wife because of the gossip of men. So that's the culture in which they lived. Men didn't talk to women on the street. Because they would get gossiped about, they would get criticised. But Jesus didn't care about that criticism. He didn't care about that gossip. He didn't respect the social taboos that would have kept them apart. Instead, he organised his travel plans and orchestrated this whole event. Just so he could speak to her. 
This is a love story. But a very different kind of love story. Not a love that was based on who she was. Or where she was from. Or what she had done. But rather a love that was based on his unconditional love. He saw her through eyes of love. And it was that love that gave her significance. It was his love that meant that he saw her as valuable, as precious, as worth being criticized and rejected and condemned for. And this is the great news of the gospel, isn't it? Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. So whoever we are, wherever we're from, Whatever we have done or has been done to us, and whatever other people might think of us, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. And this is why he went to the cross. When Jesus died, he took the punishment for our sin. So that we could receive his perfect record of righteousness. He died under God's judgment so that we could be declared righteous with God forever. So Jesus did not come to reward good people. Instead he came for sinners like you and me. He came for people who had messed up. Who are haunted by guilt and shame. Who are tempted to hide from others. Of course he also came for people who thought they were good enough on their own. Like Nicodemus, the deeply religious Bible teacher that Jesus met just in the previous chapter of John's Gospel. In John chapter 3. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night probably to hide the fact he was meeting with Jesus. And he too needed God's unconditional love. He too needed to hear that he was a sinner and that he needed to be saved. He needed to hear that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This deeply religious, good living man needed exactly the same offer of life that Jesus offered this woman. He said to her in verse 10 of our reading, If you knew the gift of God and who who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. 
that this woman didn't really understand what Jesus was offering at first. She thought it was some kind of offer of a supply of water that would mean that she wouldn't need to go to the well. But Jesus was talking about a gift that would, that would meet, that would satisfy her, her greatest need. Her deepest longing. Because she'd never experienced that kind of life before. The first six men in her life, her five husbands and the man that she was living with now, could never offer her that kind of life. But in front of her was the seventh man. And if you know the Gospel of John at all, and the writings of John in total, the, the number seven is always significant. This seventh man, the only perfect man, the man who was fully God and fully man, He was the only one who could offer her life to the full. A life of real satisfaction. And real significance. And real security. Not just a marriage that would be for her life. Not even just for a a, a few years like her other marriages. But a life of eternal and intimate Secure relationship with God Himself. And folks, this is the answer to our deepest need to. On our own, we will never be good enough. Whether we see ourselves as respectable and religious like this man Nicodemus, or rotten and rejected like this woman at the well. We all stand guilty before God because we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory. But Jesus still came to offer us this unbelievable gift of eternal life. A gift that is so incredible. And yet He offers it to us for free as a gift of His grace. All we need to do is turn from living our life our own way and put our trust in Jesus alone for all that we need. And if we do this, it will change our lives. I want to show you a little video clip. It shows how Jesus changed Matthias's life. So have a look, listen to this, please. The thing that I most feel is freedom. Um, free freedom from all you've gone through, freedom from all the pain, the suffering, the guilt. Um, just freedom to be able to know that he will take it from you. I'm Matthias. I'm from Brazil. I grew up there. I spent nine years there, so most of my childhood was lived in Brazil. And we lived by the beach, so very nice and warm. And so I moved to Ireland when I was nine, and unfortunately we no longer have the weather, nor the ocean in my backyard, so you know how that is, um, no longer can enjoy swimming. Uh, the highlight of my teenage years was The Voice. I was a semi-finalist on The Voice of Ireland, and it was a great experience, meaning very, very nice people and very, you know, talented and influential people in the music business. 
being on The Voice was great because I was able to sing and I was able to express really myself and you know express myself and not be afraid that of judgment or afraid of repercussions you know and just the fact to be appreciated for your talent uh, was something that I think my soul <laughs> needed really and um, based on what happened to me when I was younger back in Brazil when I was around five years old um, a family member a male family member started to um, groom me when I was a child um, and at first it started off not really major and then I went from that to you know taking pieces of clothing off and touching places you're not supposed to touch and then I went from that to full abuse and and I was really afraid to say anything because I thought no one's gonna believe me and or and the way that, that he made it seem was I'm going to end you if you mention this to anyone. So at first I was extremely confused because as a child you don't know really what to make of it. Um, but they went from confusion to pure terror because every time I knew he was coming over, I would try to hide or I tried to tell my, my grandmother to take me out somewhere because I didn't want to be around. Um, but when I started to acknowledge what was going on, it just made me feel very disgusting and, you know, because I just felt dirty, you know, because it's nothing that I, I could control really because I... I was outpowered by someone that's much older than I was. So um, it just made me feel scared and lonely and like, you know, I just didn't want to be here. I felt at, at one stage I started to feel very guilty because the way, it's just so tricky the way that like, the, the enemy worked because I started to feel like it was my fault, that I brought this on myself and for some reason I was being punished for something I did and I didn't know what I was being punished for. So, and then I felt ashamed really because when I had my cousins that were my age around me, I started to pull back and didn't want contact. I didn't want to be touched by anyone. I just wanted to be in my own corner in a box, hidden away, put away to the side from anyone else. So I didn't want people to look at me or even come close to me. I went to church with my parents. Um, but everything that I was listening and everything that I was being preached, um, I didn't feel correlated at all with what I was going through because I, I started to think, well, if there is a God and he's so good, then why is he letting this happen, happen to me? So then I started to think, well, he must be punishing me for something I did. So again, the guilt feeling just keeps coming back up every time I, I think about it because I was like, well, He's God, so if He's God, and if if you're good, then good things happen, and if you're bad, bad things happen. So I started to blame God. So I was very angry at God for a couple of years. What changed was when I came to Ireland. We started to go to a different church, and um, so I again I didn't know I could sing, and the the worship team there they were amazing, and I was sitting in the very back of the church quietly singing to myself, you know, the whole people, the whole church singing, so you, you cannot, you definitely can't hear me sing, and the pastor's wife 
to she after the worship set she walks down and she's like I heard you sing and I was like no way you heard me sing there's like a hundred people here you can't possibly hear me sing and she's like no I heard your spirit sing and she brought me on to her like on her wing and she started to nurture the talent and she started to bring it out and tease it out of me and she put me also in piano classes so she started to really just give me the tools I needed and point me in the right direction and guide me you know bring that gift out and that's when I started to relate more to church and to God because of everything that I felt every time I sang a song about him so it was just, that's when there's a shift really in my thought process gradually I started to you know let go of more of the past and you know let go of what happened and you know let go of the hatred really I was feeling towards the God the church um people really and gradually I, I started to you know let go and started to become more warm and be able to receive more of love because I, I always rejected it because I thought kindness comes with a cost. So what do you want from me? Why are you being why do you why are you being kind to me? Because I just haven't had a experience with, with, with kindness that didn't ask for something, you know? I guess with time I came to understand that, you know, he did die to take away everything. Our sins the past, present and future and I and I learned to as much as I felt ashamed at times, as much as I felt guilt, I learned to give it to him, you know, and take it to him and say, look, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is how I'm feeling right now. And help, <laughs> you know, I give it to you really, because I don't, I can't do it by myself. And just understanding that he loves us and, you know, he will not be ashamed of us, you know, you know, he won't put guilt on us at all. Quite the opposite, he says, you're free says you're you know you know you're my sons and daughters so and learning who he is tells you a lot about how much he cares you know tells you how much how, how much he's willing to listen you know and and it's, it's just learning that that's how that's what helped me be able to bring it to him and like here i'm giving it to you it's too heavy for me to carry so if you are someone that is feeling guilt shame for something you've done or something someone has done towards you and you you can give it to Jesus because he will take it and he will take all the blame all the guilt all the pain and he will give you in return the love that he has for us it's an amazing story isn't it very courageous of Matthias sharing that it also reflects how this woman's life was changed from the women, the women from Sychar. Because it took time for her to realize who Jesus was. But as Jesus revealed himself to her, God opened her heart and her life was radically transformed. If you look down at verse 28 and 29 of John chapter 4, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come. Earlier, she tried to hide from the people of her town, but now she wanted them. She went to them because she desperately wanted them to experience what she had. Instead of desperately seeking love in all the wrong places and all the wrong ways, she became somebody who was expressing love to others. And that's what real unconditional love does for us. That's what Jesus' love does for us. We love because He first 
loved us. It's a love that sets us free from jealousy and anger and hurt and resentment. It's a love that sets us free to love others. And it's this acceptance that frees us from fear. And that helps us to be, just accept who we are. This woman said to her town, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This woman had been hiding from her community. Ashamed of what they knew about her. But now she was no longer controlled by her past. She openly and honestly went to them to tell them about the person who knew all about her. And yet wanted her. And if we know that we are accepted by God, then we don't need to hide our faults and failings. Because we know there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of us, or even what we think of ourselves. We are valued. We are accepted. We are forgiven by God. This woman went to her town compassionate and unashamed. And as a result, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. People couldn't ignore the change that had happened in her life. And as a result, they too put their faith in Jesus. So from being an outcast from her community, she went to become the most effective evangelist to her community. Today, folks, we don't need to be haunted by guilt and shame. We don't need to try and hide what we've done. We don't need to be afraid that we'll never be good enough. Jesus loves us just as we are. He died for all the wrong things done to us and all the wrong things that we have done. And so if we put our trust in Him, then we can know His complete forgiveness. His total acceptance. His eternal salvation. And the freedom and joy of knowing that we belong.